Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Dr. David Calvo makes sense of peptides, aminos, and growth hormones with the crew. If you've been looking for a concise explanation of how these essential building blocks interact with the body to regulate all kinds of functions, this is it. Learn how therapies are being used to tweak things like appetite and why we owe a debt of gratitude to some of the field's earliest guinea pigs, bodybuilders. Peptides aren't a cure-all, though. There are many factors that contribute to healthy hormone production, and most of them are well within your control. Genetic factors aside, your daily habits are the major influencers of whether or not you feel great aging or you feel like garbage. If you're like Luke, you peaked in high school, but according to Dr. Calvo, you can revisit that wave and ride it well into retirement. This is episode 261. Nation, it is that time again for another episode of the Premier, Premier Podcast, Podcast in, in strength, strength and Conditioning. conditioning. Ing, Ing, Ing. Ing. So, a quick word from our sponsor, Power Athlete Radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, people. We're whoring out again for just hey, maybe a five, four, three, two star review. Just definitely uh, no actually, one star. I only want them to review if they're going to give us a five. Okay, well, that's John's prerogative. But Tex and I, as always, are looking for adaptive feedback. We're looking, hey, what can we improve? What can we improve? It's not the guests because we have the premier guests in the podcasts, premier podcast and strength and conditioning. conditioning. But uh, hey, man, we're just trying to grow or not. So and truly get better. So if you can just give us two minutes of your life for all the hours we put into this mm. thing, which is you know m- millions, I, right? Well, I, technically, we can add it all up. Theoretically, theoretically, we could, but see, text you don't well, see we, all the granular costs. Well, how many? T- uh, I mean, what would it be? Have like a hundred of these things? Maybe twenty-five. Two hundred sixty-four. Okay, two hundred sixty-four times twenty minutes. Um, anywhere from <laughs> forty-five to four hours. If you're, you know, uh, I was actually reliving our podcast with uh, Tate Fletcher as I saw the accountant on the other day, and then you know, of course. Uh, uh, Tate Fletcher has mm-hmm. the rare distinction of being killed by Ben Affleck and Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and a hell of a lot more people. Yeah, and I dinosaurs. Think, I think he's been killed by Tom Cruise. I did, no, really? or, no, I am thinking of a Velociraptor. Yeah, uh, you're yeah. right. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't mind getting killed by Keanu. Keanu actually seems like a fairly... I don't know about getting killed with Ben Affleck. I don't know, but... Uh, well, is it Ben Affleck now or Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck in the accountant. No, it was Ben Affleck in the accountant, which is actually one of his Jack best Nicholson movies. Jack Nicholson now or Jack Nicholson 1974? <laughs> in The Shining. Well, I guess, but, yeah. Yeah, and, and share. Share the podcast. Oh, I thought you meant our friend. guest, Share, when we had Share on the podcast. The Ooh. musician? That's my goal of 2019. You think she's I only wonder if we, I mean, if we could do a seance and get Sonny on. Because I really was a big Sonny and Share fan when I was a kid. That was before my time, man. You don't remember? She used to come out in those crazy-ass fucking outfits. I yeah, remember like when I was... little chaps. Dude, I, I remember as, remember as like, one. a little kid being like, I can't believe she's wearing those outfits. This is awesome. I know he died skiing, and I'll never go skiing. You just got to be... Really, that's the reason you're not going to go skiing. Well, I'm sure there's multiple reasons. I Just snow scares the living daylights out of me. Snow scares you? Yeah. Snow, water... Like I'm a land get, animal. Yeah, I guess. Snow is on the land, you know. So is water. Water's on the land. Think about just it. It's a Texas animal. So on this there, there's no snow in Texas? Oh, that one time in Austin at the symposium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I sure hope it doesn't do that at the symposium twenty eighteen, well, December seventh, eighth, and ninth. You That's know right, what? people save the date. December seventh, eighth, and ninth, the Power Athlete Symposium twenty eighteen. And I don't know, tickets might be on sale now or not. So you got that going for you. Which is nice. Soon. But either way, check back and uh, give us five stars. That's right. So we appreciate your time. Thanks for listening again. And then why don't we just get to our guest right now, who's I, not quite share, but really fucking close, with pretty mind-blowing shit, talking about some really cutting-edge shit, uh, peptides. Mind-blowing shit and cutting-edge shit, huh? All in the same <laughs> both episode. Both. That's what we do. Yeah. So, well. Dr. David Calvo, people, let's go. What's up, Doc? Hey, bud. How you doing? Good. You got that land cleared? Yeah, I think we're good. How's that sound? So Where are you guys broadcasting from? Well, right now we're, um, we're in our office space, uh, converted office space. Yeah, so there was a, a barn on the property where the previous owner had had horses. So I gutted it, polished the floor. I mean, we polished the floors, spray foam, did uh, the, the corrugated metal on the walls, and then put up like 1,700 square foot of cedar on the ceiling. 
and then put in a shower and built a loft and basically made it into like a guest house. So I guess why don't we just get started, uh, Doc? So, so John, brief us again, kind of the interaction, how you first met Doc. Um, I got invited to go speak for the Healthy Wealthy deal with uh, Doc Parsley and Christina, and uh, they asked me to show up and do, I think, about a 45-minute to an hour talk on performance and training and fitness and athleticism. So I show up geared up to do this talk and, uh, you know, present. And they're like, yeah, that's canceled. <laughs> We're going to have a panel instead. So I'm sitting there kind of talking and everybody sits down at the panel and they make the mistake of uh, leaving the one empty seat in the middle. So I go sit in the middle and then they hand me the microphone, which is always a terrible idea. And at that point, I just started uh, making fun of people, which is, you know, pretty much our standard. Yep. And uh, by the time the mic got passed around, Doc ends up grabbing it. And um, he started really actually talking about some super heady stuff and some things I just didn't know enough about. One of which was uh, this kind of extension kind of whole uh, market of peptides and what people are doing for performance. And I remember about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I went to dinner with Bob Sapp and a few other uh, individuals, and they were talking about, you know, foliostatin, myostatin, interleukin blockers. And a lot of this research coming out of cancer research was a lot of the performance enhancing that, you know, top cyclists for USA were using at the time. And it was just kind of a really interesting conversation about, um, you know, not only being able to like, you know, block interleukin one, but block myostatin and just some really kind of you know, Bruce Banner, incredible Hulk type stuff. And I just hadn't heard enough about it in a long time. And then when Doc said, Hey, I've, uh, you know, know a little bit about this and it's something I'm really venturing into. Uh, I wanted to pick his brain and just see what was out there, you know, not only for the community at large and the people on the podcast, but also for myself, you know, as you guys know, I have a shoulder injury and yeah. getting ready to go in and have surgery on it. And, uh, you know, anything I can do to not only increase healing, but, uh, make it a more advantageous process. I'm always interested in. And then he was, you know, I know he'd been an orthopedist for a number of years. So, you know, it's always great to have, uh, somebody who has that much experience in, in terms of, you know, fixing broken yeah, parts. On dudes. Yeah. And then, you know, and then being able to go on this deal, and he's a neighbor. He lives over in Spanish Oaks right around the corner from us. So oh, no kidding, man. I figured he was a good person to connect with, and I figured we'd have him on the podcast and uh, really get into and really discuss this idea of peptides. Because if you jump on the internet, man, and I'm sure you guys listen to this well, and you put in peptides, you're going to see all these like clandestine, weird, off-market you know, websites that are selling all this like you know, stuff for, not, for human consumption and uh, you know, clinical trial this, and it's all experimental, and basically it probably shows up and it's nothing. <laughs> And then people take it and maybe they get an effect, maybe they don't. And, but how do you necessarily know? So when, um, when I look and I hear about things like this, I always want people that, Hey, you know, like how, like, where's this coming from? Is this, uh, you know, some guy cooking it up in his basement? Yeah. Is this coming from an FDA co- uh, approved compounding pharmacy? Like, are there clinical studies? What do we know? Is there a, uh, like, what's the prescribed amount? Like if you're going to take this peptide, do you take the whole bottle? Do you take half? Like, has anybody done any efficacy studies on amounts? And, um, I'm just always really kind of fascinated more by, uh, what people are doing to replicate it. Not just nearly like bodybuilding.com. Some bro said he bought some peptides off of the internet and he took a whole bunch of them and it was great. You know, like that shit doesn't do. And well, I mean, this feels like such a niche kind of thing to get into and maybe it's not as an orthopedist. How about you? We'll just start with getting a little background on, on you and maybe what brought you into this particular area (coughs) of research? Well, um, my background is definitely not in peptides. Okay. Um, my experience, um, has been, uh, as, as you guys said, with the wrench. Um, I mean, I was raised as a kid with an old pair of craftsman tools and a broken car in the garage, and that qualified me, the first qualification for getting into orthopedics. I That's know great. I know Lefty Lucy. <laughs> is that, is, it's that simple? Uh, no. You've ever uh, seen an, uh, a joint replacement? Uh, it is about that. Like I yeah. saw them replacing a knee and, uh, they pulled out. I was like, uh, this looks like they're about to do major body work. The only thing I didn't see in there was like a, you know, oxycetylene torch, <laughs> but I saw big hammers and, and <sighs> so all t- I had the Dremel, I have the Dremel in the back. No kidding. Yeah. So, uh, the, the bottom line is that my, my whole career, uh, started as an athlete. Um, I, I wasn't smart enough to go to college and become pre-med and play collegiate sports. So I settled on medicine. <clears throat> um, the, um, and 
Yeah, I was born and raised. I was born in Galveston. I was born in Galveston, Texas. Um, lived there 11 years. And then we moved around a little bit in Texas. And my dad was with a company that moved in twice. Ended up in Wharton County uh, and had the, had the, the uh, local uh, 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 knowledge of having uh, played junior high ball with Steve Wooster. He used to play for UT, if any of you guys old enough to know who that guy is. Uh, and uh, so I played high school sports. I was in a 2A high school, and so I was good enough to, to make varsity two years, but not good enough to really play Division I. Uh, so um, I've always been a track athlete and, um, and um, a football athlete, football, rugby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, late in my career, uh, I decided I wanted to be a triathlete, and I didn't realize I had the endurance gene, and I ended up being ranked 56 out of 700 in the U.S. on the USA triathlon team, and uh, two world championships and three nationals. And uh, so I got that out of my system after 10 years, 15 hours a week of working out, and I, I got got over that, uh, kind of like John got over at the NFL. And uh, so uh, the the my undergraduate degree <clears throat> is in microbiology, and I've got 26 hours of microbiology. Uh, finished up at UT in 1973. Um, went to uh, Houston to graduate school at the MD Anderson Hospital, uh, graduate school of biomedical sciences for UT, and did a master's degree in nuclear medicine and cell research. Basically, cancer research for looking at uh, agents to find cancer in bodies using radio radioisotopes. <clears throat> and then um, I finished that, went to medical school at UT Houston. Um, from day one, everybody there knew I was orthopedics. I was team doc with uh, one of the local guys at Rice and, and tagged along with the residents on every weekend and didn't have much of a life except for that. And uh, naturally went on, finished orthopedics, four years of orthopedics at Herman, one year of general surgery before that. And then went on to California and went with Stedman, who uh, John knows well. Uh, was Stedman's first fellow in 1983 in sports medicine and knee surgery uh, before he moved to Vail. We basically carved out the Stedman Fellowship on a cocktail napkin at the Matterhorn Cafe in Highway 50 on the way to, uh, on the way to Sacramento. Uh, so some of you guys know where that is. <clears throat> the, uh, then after that, I went to Scotland and did uh, at Edinburgh and did an artificial joint fellowship. So I came out with the alpha and the omega. I had the, the, the sports knee and the artificial knee um, and, um, and then came back to Sugarland and went and practiced in Sugarland because that's kind of most people come back to their nest. And that was where I was trained. I knew everybody. Family was from down that area. And I practiced there for almost 30 years. Um, and uh, then I had an opportunity to come here and become the chief of orthopedics at the Lakeway Hospital out here in uh, Travis County uh, near Lake Travis. Um, and that gig was pretty good for about three and a half years until, uh, 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 uh the, uh, uh, the, uh, HMO of, of Texas took over with Scott and White came in and took over thing. And they, uh, they hired a bunch of, uh, guys who were straight fresh out of training and decided that they didn't need, need the expensively paid guys. And I was ready to go and do something else anyway at that point. And I'd been doing peptides and I'd been doing, no, I hadn't had not doing peptides. I've been doing stem cells platelet-rich plasma, amniotic material, and rather avant-garde kind of things in orthopedics for a number of years to go along with the general orthopedics. And I knew the results were excellent. And at the time, <clears throat> I didn't realize I was going to end up in the peptide world. Uh, but as, as that evolved, um, I, um, I gradually began to learn more and more about this and went to several meetings. And I, you know, in, um, uh, this, earlier this uh, last year, uh, I was introduced to Bill Seeds, who's the uh, orthopedic surgeon for Dancing with the Stars up in the uh, Cleveland area. And then Jim Lavelle, who is also uh, a world-renowned author and pharmacist, uh, clinical, clinical nutritionist and a doctor of naturopathy, who's written 21 books and has started the whole head injury pro protocol for uh, soldiers for Department of Defense for NFL and he and Seeds run that with the NFL for head injury. Um, and they began introducing me and teaching me about brain injury and about uh, of all types of injuries and that there is a better mousetrap for helping get things well than just a knife, a knife and a heart and a stainless steel metal. And um, as we know, biology makes a huge difference. And we build the pyramid from the base up, starting with nutrition, wellness, lifestyle, management, rest, sleep. 
um, vitamins, minerals, protein, right fats, all the things you guys know and preach. Uh, I preach it from the, the same way you do. I just preach it from a different angle. Um, but, but the results the same, you, uh, you know, you're, you're as good as what you put in, you are what you eat. <clears throat> and then, um, when we started analyzing this stuff, um, and, um, and, the, the, the world of peptides, as you guys said, there's been out there for a long, long time. And the gym monkeys know more about peptides than most of the doctors in the world. And it, they darn sure knew more than I did. And, uh, the problem is some of the stuff is pretty nefarious. Uh, has no controlled stu uh, uh, studies. It's not controlled in the lab that it's made. You you have no idea what you're going to get. So, <clears throat> uh, based on um, uh, an ex a very successful company that came out of Australia and Dubai, uh, a uh, local distributor compounding pharmacy in Kentucky by the name of Taylor Made Compounding was um, started or, or was modified. They were already in existence, but they were were modified. And the company that I'm working with closely to supply these things began working on FDA approval for importing the ground substances and finding an application in the United States to put them together in a sterile hood lab. And you know, that, you know as well as I do that these sterile um, uh, compounding pharmacies are hard to find because of that big scare we had about four or five years, four years ago when the, all the cortisone stuff was uh, was contaminated and people with uh, epidural steroid injections got meningitis and died and all that stuff. And FDA basically shut down all these fly-by-night places. So it costs a million dollars to have a single uh, vented room uh, for doing co controlled substances or controlled um, um, uh, sterile. Sterile, yeah. So the sterile, sterility is the key. Just anybody can mix something up and rub it on your skin. But to stick it in your body, it's got to be sterile. It's got to be certified. So... To make a long story short, TaylorMade is certified by the FDA to do what they do. Their products are legitimate. They're quality controlled internally and externally. Mass spec at their place. There's a mass spec in Houston at PCCA, which is one of the clearing houses for all compounding pharmacies in the United States. So they, they internally test for quality and quantity. They externally test to corroborate what their results are, and they present the results to the FDA on every batch to make certain they are what they say they are. So when you get something from TaylorMade, you know it's what it's supposed to be. <clears throat> and then the, the, the determination is for us to determine what of what they have do you need. And that depends upon a lot of stuff. Depends on the clinical, depends on the laboratory, depends on what you do, what you're experienced in the past, et cetera, et cetera. And we're learning more and more every day these applications. Now, what is a peptide? Uh, I'll transition to there and we can come back and fill in the gaps if, uh, once you guys hear what I have to say, and uh, I, I don't want to talk over or under, under our audience, but I want to, I want to get through this because it's a lot, there's a lot to it. <clears throat> uh, peptides are strings of amino acids, like strings of boxcars along the side rail in a yard, in a, in a train yard. And those boxcars are red, yellow, green, and blue. And some of them are tank cars and some of them are flat cars. Some of them are cabooses and the other ones used to hold coal. And there's an engine at the front, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, anything greater than about 99 amino acids is a protein by definition. Anything less than 99 is a peptide by definition. Most of the peptides that we use right now are in some form or fashion spinoffs or cutoffs of growth hormone, human growth hormone. Now, growth hormone itself is no longer in vogue. We don't like using growth hormone anymore, anymore because, and I'll give you the, 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 the dynamics of that <clears throat> in a real short substance, in a real short subject. When you inject growth hormone, you get a plateau of growth hormone in your bloodstream that goes down with a half-life, and, and you re-inject the next day. Well, the half-life is a, a steady state of, uh, of graph going down and down and down through the day until the next day. And you inject, and you pop back up, and you go back the other. You go back, and you, you decrease again until you run out of um, stuff, and then you take a holiday to let your pituitary catch up. Well, the normal pituitary produces nine pulses of human growth hormone a day. And it's part of the, it's, it's an appendage of the hypothalamus. And there are signal chemicals that come from the hypothalamus that stimulate the anterior and the posterior pituitary. And the anterior pituitary is where most, most growth hormone emanates. And what our goal is, or it has been, and, and, now, it is, and now it's been developed, is to stimulate the existing uh, pituitary to produce the normal pulsatile release of normal growth hormone at the level your body's supposed to have. 
And what we do know is that from autopsy studies, if you take an 85-year-old man who's had an unfortunate death and a 25-year-old unfortunate man who's had an unfortunate death, and you biopsy them and you take their pituitary, you can find the same amount of growth hormone in both of those pituitaries. The difference is the old man can't release it. It's kind of like myostatin, okay? Well, there's somatostatin, you know? So the statin means stop, stop something. So what we want to do is release the hounds, so to speak. We want to release all the growth hormone that you're supposed to be making in the normal pulsatile fashion eight or nine times a day and have the naders, the lower part, and the peaks go on so that your body responds appropriately. Your body responds to a plateau by growing a big jaw. You look like lurch. You get the weight lift of belly. You get carpal tunnel. You get optic neuritis. You get increased glucose problems with Alzheimer's down the, down the road, et cetera, et cetera. So our goal is to restore, restore the normal homeopathic uh, method, or I'm sorry, home, homeopathic status of, of uh, growth hormone to what you were born with and what you had at 17 or 18 or 19. So over time, what, what affects the ability for that, those pulses to, to release? Is it just part of the normal aging process? Is it traumatic brain injury? Is it nutrition? All of the above? We don't know. What happens is over time as we age, there's, there's a couple of components. One is just as we age, we, we're, not, we're, we're kind of depleting ourselves. Our nutrition is not as good. We're, our brain uh, cells are not as functional as they used to be with all the different assaults that we have on our brain, anywhere from stress to injury to chemicals to um, antibodies to autoimmune disease to whatever it is. There's a myriad of different reasons. But the bottom line, if you measure your growth hormone, which is very difficult to do, growth hormone only lasts. I, I like to say growth hormone is like a is like the equivalent of one of those little spritzers in the in the bathroom at the local Seven uh, Eleven, and it keeps it from stinking in there. And you walk in every once in a while, you hear it go, tss, tss. okay, so you hear it spritz. Well, the growth hormone spritzes, and the thing that causes it to spritz are the hypothalamic peptides and signal chemicals that enter the, pep, the, the pituitary and stimulate it. There are two ones that do it, two types, One, and you guys know this, growth hormone-releasing hormone and growth hormone-releasing peptide. Growth hormone-releasing peptide is the one you got to worry about. That's Samorlin, and that's some of these others, um, like Ipamorlin, et cetera, that the body will become resistant to it over time if you don't use it right. Even if you do use some of them right, they still get resistant, and it doesn't work anymore. So after six weeks, Samorlin doesn't work. Uh, so what we found is that a good combination of growth, growth hormone-releasing hormone, there's one particular I like to use, and there's several, but the one I like to use because it works well with the, with the peptide, the growth hormone-releasing hormone is, um, is uh, called CJC1295, uh, okay? And that is a growth hormone-releasing hormone that, does, that the body does not become refractory to, okay? And it goes straight to the pituitary, and it charges the pituitary to release part of the growth hormone, growth hormone releasing peptide comes in at a different angle in a different way and turns on the rest of the pituitary. And those two in combination create normal human growth hormone released at appropriate amounts at, at the appropriate times. We, we um, have found by using Ipamorlin as, a rose, as, a, as opposed to Simorlin is that we can actually not have to uh, worry about refractoriness we can actually uh, only take two days off a week on this, which is a normal thing. We do five on, two off, so you go Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday off, or whatever your schedule works with, and you and you don't have to worry about taking time off. You could you could cycle uh, like we used to do on growth hormone and like we used to do on testosterone and things like that to keep the organs natural, but you don't have to anymore if you take the two days off and if you use the right stuff. So that's growth hormone. That's one idea we're dealing with with pituitary. There's a lot of other ones out there that we can deal with. When we all know about the twos and the sixes and the, you know, all the different things that are out there that are that are growth hormone releasing hormones. And then there's other uh, testmorlin and a whole bunch of different um, uh, uh, growth hormone releasing uh, peptides that we can talk about. And some of them we use more than others. For example, if you want 
you want to increase people's appetite, use growth hormone releasing hormone two, you know, and if you don't really want to use, don't want to increase their appetite, you use the six. So there's all these little nuances and, and caveats that you have to know a little bit about. And then, so I feel like a lot of this stuff that's been used, like you said, the bodybuilders is part of like this performance enhancing type deal, right? For people, for dudes to get jacked, right? Well, they've, they've really helped us because it's basically, uh, it's news you can use and, you know, most of them, it didn't kill them. Uh, it, it may have, it may have made them not as healthy as they should have been and, and, et cetera, but they kind of were the lab rats, if you will, uh, without having to have an FDA study. Um, well, I mean, but, most of the steroid research, uh, you know, I mean, I know they invented most of the drugs in about the 50s. But I mean, if you look at like, uh, like the pushing the envelope of what, you know, drugs have done, I mean, it really goes into the bodybuilding community. And what's amazing is that the majority of the bodybuilders that die usually comes from some form of like diuretics and like, you know, the, uh, the kind of the big kind of swing weight gains. But I mean, like the amount of uh, steroids that these guys are taking is so far past like what even doctors thought was possible. I mean, the idea of like, you know, uh, 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 receptor site saturation and whatnot. And these guys just keep pushing the bounds. And surprisingly, they are living into what, you know, these guys will all be dead by 30. And now they're, you know, you see these guys older and they've since kind of chilled out a little. But I mean, just the the volume and the amounts are like something out of like a comic book. Uh, and are so far, far past what doctors even thought was humanly possible. So I think, um, you know, what's really interesting, especially with performance enhancing and, and uh, you know, with this peptides and deal, like you said, man, people have gone like so far past the level of like, uh, like this is so far past a far, you know, a, a performance gain. This is almost like on the side of suicide, but yet the guys aren't dying. And like, you know, doc is saying like these guys are finding out some pretty interesting stuff. I, I just, what's so hard with a lot of the performance enhancing coming out of uh, like gyms and what guys are buying over the internet is you don't really know what's in there. I mean, they might be selling peptides and it could be HCG, uh, HCG for all they know. And they, Hey, I'm feeling great. Everything's working great. And this peptide's working great when it's not even what it says it is. So that's absolutely true. And we know that, I mean, we know that there's, there's risks because, for example, you heard about the Dutch cycling team back in Lance's days. They were all doing EPO, which is erythropoietin, which increases the number of red blood cells so you can carry more oxygen. And they had no medical supervision whatsoever. You've got 21-year-old guys that are not falling over with a stroke because they had a hemoglobin and hematocrit that was off the map. You know, their, their blood count was 65% red cells. It was like plum pudding. And they had a clot, and they went to their, went, uh, went to their heart, and went to their lung, and killed them. Uh, and that's the biggest worry we have in testosterone therapy today is I have to be after my patients all the time, and I'm I'm the I'm the mother calling them to dinner, saying, "Hey, have you had your have you had your blood count checked? You know, did you by the way, did you go blind donate blood at the blood bank like I told you last month, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." And I mean, I'm I'm one of those guys that's the, the that's the 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 um, recipient of a blood clot. And, and mine was because I was on testosterone and I had sleep apnea. And I have a one, one gene that has a, a factor two mutation for clotting. And I took two 11-hour plane trips back and forth to Vancouver in the same weekend and had a, a rock star weekend with a, a bottle of day of tequila. You know, I mean, well, hell, I was a damn perfect lab rat. If I hadn't got a clot, it would have been a miracle. Well, I got a dad who died from a pulmonary embolism because he has the full Monty. He's got both genes. My my brother has had it. He had another one yesterday. Okay. And he's on Lovinox uh, heparin now. And my 21-year-old niece, after I scoped her knee one day afterwards, she got a clot. So we've got the pedigree. So I'm I'm preaching from I'm preaching to the choir and I'm preaching from a really hot pulpit. So I, I, uh, this is stuff that's serious. So we can still get into a shitload of trouble by not monitoring this stuff and by doing this stuff inappropriately, uh, inappropriately. And I know it's more expensive the way I'm talking about doing it. But for God's sake, what's more expensive than death or near dying? So you know, I mean, John's right. We've 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 uh, we've uh, we're the rat and the lab animals, and we've kind of passed that. But we've also met the enemy, and he is us. Well, I mean, uh, with a lot of this stuff, I mean, we see it in training, we see it in nutrition, we see it everywhere. If one's good, a hundred's better. And what people don't realize is that like there is a, uh, you know, level of like, you know, even on this stuff, like if, uh, you know, at 40 years old, let's say you go in and you get, 
you know, your blood work done and let's say you got it done in your twenties, the idea of like, Hey, if I could somehow supplement or, you know, find a way to enhance and stay in my twenties for the rest of my life. I think that is usually what we kind of strive for. And even, you know, talking to Dr. Tom and whatnot, the idea of like just being able to be consistent. Cause I think what happens, especially as we get older, you know, obviously androgens in the you know system and all these different, you know, from like growth hormone, testosterone, whatnot, start to decrease just naturally. And the idea of like, if I can kind of stay level on that, can I starve off, uh, starve off aging and make people feel better? And then it's like, your body doesn't ache. I sleep better. Uh, you know, one of the biggest side effects of actually, you know, doing some, uh, testosterone supplementation in older, uh, older people is, uh, increased sleep. Like all of a sudden, you know, I was sleeping three hours a night. Now all of a sudden I'm sleeping six or seven. And you're like, well, I mean, well, you know, and the benefits from sleeping more, right? Well, it yeah. just kind of spins up into the positive. Well, well, I mean, we're we're really just getting to start. And, you know, Parsi and I have talked about this numerous times. We're just like at like scratching the surface on understanding how important sleep is. I mean, it's like, oh, people have talked about it. But like now we're actually at a point where it's like, you know, and I remember Dr. Tom doing that, uh, doing that study with his patients where that he grouped them in. Uh, sleep category. So guys that were three hours or less, six, three to six, you know, six plus. And the guys that were in the lower, you know, zero to three sleeping, there was no amount of exogenous testosterone they could give them to get any type of physical, physiological effect. Mm -hmm. And the guys that like slept over six hours, uh, you know, took a very minimal dose and were, you know, made a wonderful performance gain. So I think just as you age, uh, just being able to like see these things coming and say, all right, you know, like you said, like a holistic approach of nutrition nutrition, performance, you know, for training, and then being able to get enough blood work done to where you can see where you're deficient and start making small changes, you know, and I, and then, then it becomes, becomes a kind of the sum of the parts gets you to where you want to go, which hopefully is, you know, looking pretty good as, as an older man or older woman. Yeah. I, I think that the, the, the idea here is, uh, and that's exactly what my, my practice is about is, uh, maintenance, maintenance of youth, uh, uh, and if there's a way we can we can either preserve youth or we can reverse aging, uh, that's our goal. And I always say I, my, my objective would be to try to maintain everybody as best I can as close to 35 as possible. And that's my goal in hormones and, and, and the peptides and everything else is to try to try to get people's levels. Not I don't I'm not trying to make everybody Arnold. I want to make everybody Joe Blow that's healthy. And, um, I mean, I'm 68, uh, and a half. <clears throat> and, um, I can tell you that I'm a whole lot younger than my dad was at 68. He died at 72. Uh, so, um, I, I, I don't intend to do that. I intend, I intend to, to, to be here a long time doing the right thing. And what we do is we make, my wife and I are spokesmodels for this business. So John has met my wife and he knows her. And uh, most people can't believe that she's actually six weeks older than me. She looks like she's 38. And she's been on this wagon for a long time, back when I was being stupid and just uh, worrying about wrenching in the operating room and driving myself crazy doing triathlons. So the key here, we, we can, there's a lot to do. And I, I wanted to capture what John said about, about sleep. Uh, actually, uh, one of the issues that most of us have is that as we age, um, we begin to lose the ability to dream. We lose the ability to have REM sleep. We lose the ability to, um, uh, to, to have what is known as the first foundation of sleep at night, which is Delta slow wave sleep. Delta slow wave sleep, if you hook up you, me, and everybody else when we were 25 to an EEG machine with those patches on the brain, and we look in an oscilloscope and hook the speaker up to that oscilloscope, you would see everything as you start to fall asleep looks like a jam session. It sounds like a jam session. You got cymbals, you got guitars, you got everything going off in the background and everybody talking and raising hell, testing their harmonies and whatever. And it's scrambling, it's going crazy like radio off station. And then as you start to slip, slip into delta slow wave sleep, it begins to unify into a common sound and look on the oscilloscope where it's a single wave. It's a slow wave, and they've, de they've defined it as delta slow wave. And if you listen to it on the oscilloscope, it starts out as scratchy mess, and it turns into this monotone of like that. That is when you're sleeping into 
slipping into delta slow wave sleep and beginning to get the REM sleep that you have to have several times during the night. And that two hours after you fall asleep is the key to make to establishing the foundation for the rest of your sleep for the next six hours. So you're right. Six to eight hours of sleep is is not everybody needs it. Donald Trump doesn't need it, obviously, but some people do. Um, I like that six and a half uh, uh, if I can, seven if if uh, I'm lucky. But uh, they discovered. I want to go on to the next thing, and I'll let you guys intervene. Uh, the next thing is that they've discovered a peptide. Lo and behold, light growth hormone that works at the hypothalamus level uh, to help stimulate sleep, and we know that tyrosine and serotonin and melatonin and all those things that you can buy over at the store help with sleep. And we've, I found some other things called L-theanine. It's an over-the-counter product. It's an amino acid. It works great for sleep and it works great during the day if you're an anxious sort to calm you down. doesn't make you goofy. just relaxes you, uh, lets you control yourself. And then the uh, Delta Slow Wave Sleep Initiating Peptide, DSIP, works through the hypothalamus it it turns on luteinizing hormone which boosts testosterone but it also starts the pathway for serotonin tyrosine uh, for uh, melatonin etc to start turning on this delta slow wave sleep about an hour and a half or two hours after you fall asleep and i can tell you from a personal perspective it is amazing how well it works it's put me back to the high school feel Remember when you used to fall asleep in high school and your mother had to wake you up because you're drilling all over your pillow at 10 a.m.? That's what it feels like when you finally get into that delta slow wave sleep. So, so there's, there's a lot of these stories we can go on and go into, and there's research that backs them up. I've got the white papers um, that support them. That's uh, CJC 1295. My, my screen shows it backwards. I don't know how yours does. Yeah, but, uh, is it forward? Yeah, yeah, no, it looks good. Yeah, for me, it's backward. But uh, CJC 1295, um, we, uh, et cetera, all these different uh, things that we're talking about. There's, there's this Ipamorlin, and Ipamorlin is actually mixed with CJC 1295 to give you the growth hormone-releasing hormone and the growth hormone-releasing peptide so you get the best balance, et cetera. So we can get into SARMs. We can get into some of the things that are myostatin uh, limiters that stop the 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 whole the breaks on muscle building so that you can actually grow muscle when you normally have too much myostatin you can't grow the muscle there's there's an incredible cadre of new things that are coming out that are well tested and uh, it's pretty space age and so what's where do you, and do you see it going and channeling into you know like just keeping guys and gals normal who are kind of spinning off for whatever reason lifestyle choices maybe and the, and just kind of rebounding back off of that right or do you think that there's going to be some assholes out there who ruin it for everybody just by like going with the well the one's good let's try a hundred and if a hundred works why not try a thousand well, uh, I I think the not to get you off talk but I think with a lot of these things there's a uh, like the body's pretty sharp like I think if you make one kind of tweak uh, I think the body will notice something it's kind of like you see with um you know people that take like you know hey i'm taking a gram of testosterone a day and there are people that are literally taking a thousand milligrams of testosterone a day uh you know power lifters or and for you know, let's say that the layman what is a typical dosage of testosterone uh, for like, like the guys two, the like 200 milligrams okay so uh, a week like 5x yeah so a week yeah so 200 milligrams a week and then and then there's guys that are taking 7,000 a week so you know gram a day and uh you know like but the thing is is that your body can only absorb so much there's you know saturation of receptor sites uh like you said you know all of a sudden you get thickening of the blood so i mean like like the body i think if you try to skew something too far ends up either trying to kill you off or ends up putting a bunch of locks or a bunch of you know issues in place to kind of prevent this because the body's always trying to get to homeostasis Mm -hmm. so i think with a lot of these things if you can make small tweaks i think you end up getting some really good performance and some physical benefits the problem is is if you go like full retard Mm -hmm. and you go on that side i think the body ends up doing some things to negatively affect everything and uh you know but the the extreme nature of a lot of people that kind of you know subscribe to you know you look at like the uh, you know extreme nature professional bodybuilding i mean i if if you guys have ever been around any professional bodybuilders you're thinking like 
like this doesn't look healthy. This doesn't really look good. And it's kind of a very uh, eclectic lifestyle and not one that I don't know most people would want to get into. Right. Um, you know, and as you guys know, I mean, we've all trained into, you know, single digit body fat. And it's like, dude, it's mm-hmm. like, that's not a fun lifestyle. Now let's do it for 10 years straight. Never, you know, like I'm thinking John Anderson, right? Like he talk about fucking extreme him and his deep water philosophy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and then guys get into just, it, it just is, uh, I think, and there, there's documentaries on Netflix, and I've watched a bunch of them, you know, Generation Iron and whatnot, yeah. where, you know, there's definitely a, a personality uh, deficiency, like there's something going on there that's a little bit deeper, but I mean, that's always going to be life, so I, I think what I look at it is like, uh, or the one thing I've always been fascinated by isn't necessarily the performance enhancing aspect as much as it's the injury recovery deal. Right. Like you bring somebody in like, you know, shoulder injury, a knee injury, or you have something happen. And, you know, how do you minimize the amount of time, uh, you know, out of, you know, training or sport or, you know, uh, you know, off the field. Like I, you know, just got an email from a guy who's got severe patellar tendonitis and he thinks that, you know, some magical, uh, you know, secret squirrel blending of field strong and triphasic is going to fix it. And there's a good chance that he's got, you know, lack of motor unit recruitment. He's got, you know, terrible patterns. His jumping and landing is bad because his squat is bad. So, I mean, like mm-hmm. all of these things come into play. Is there a way to, you know, put a training program together, maybe use some like EMS power dot or some of these other things to strengthen tendons, uh, help and, you know, reduce. So all of a sudden now the, uh, you know, he fixes his patellar tendonitis in like weeks and not months and years. And so really, I, I'm just always fascinated by how do you make athletes healthier so that they can get back in the game? And then how do you mitigate the injuries and the damage of the athletes? And uh, unfortunately, what? that gets blurred really where it's like, well, shit, if that's the case, then I can do this to performance enhance. It's funny. I'm thinking of like my old man who's 71 years old, 72, maybe. 71, but he he's right now is like, he sees the opportunities on the verge of retirement and he wants to finally get into shape so he can do the things he likes to do. Which well, is but hard. he, yeah, he, he likes to do some crazy long range hunting, which yeah, is so, awesome. He, so like, but his, that curve or that, that barrier he's got to get through to kind of probably lose like 20 pounds or so might be, might be a hard one to where it becomes too hard to quit versus like if he can find some of this supplementation opportunity or peptide opportunity that might, like you're saying, still compress that timeline, make it more obtainable in a shorter period of time, uh, then the behavior change might actually stick. You know what I mean? Versus guys and gals who we hear on email all the time, like the hard gainers. There's guys like you were talking about who just cannot grow the musculature and they just fucking wash out. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, docs, um, I'd, I'd love to talk about the folio stat and the myostat, and I'm, uh, I'm actually pretty fascinated by that. I mean, anybody's ever seen pictures of the myostat and bulls, you know, Mark Bell's brother had, or, um, uh, Chris Bell did the documentary on, uh, um, you know, performance enhancing and, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. And they talk about the myostat and bulls. Uh, I remember reading a bunch of research about 10 years ago where they were giving people myostatin blockers and then the body was finding other ways to screw them. Like, uh, they would eat like you know, blueberry and be full for days. So like the body was like doing these things to like trap them so they couldn't do it. So uh, I'll tell you this. I mean, the folio stat and the mouse stat and stuff is, uh, is the stuff of, uh, of like superhero legends. I mean, if you think about like Captain America and them going in that whole deal where he's transforming him, like it's probably right within that, uh, that, you know, that pathway of that stuff. So doc, if you want to rap about that, man, I'd love to talk about that. And then also the SARMs, I don't know shit about the SARMs. So if you want to talk about that too. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, about the um, before we go there because I think that's a whole other session. We might want to encapsulate um, the, um, the the hypertrophy. There's there's a there's a a, a healing component uh, to this, and there's a age management component to this, and then there's a recreational component to this, which is you know people want to get bigger in the gym and look better and, and such as that. And and uh, and avoiding the uh, abuse is the key uh, to it all. Uh, but we want to be able to do anything we want to within the realm of safety and and uh, with you know limited by dollars and limited by safety uh, because this stuff's not expensive. If you get it, I mean it's not cheap. If you get into the tested forms of this stuff, these things become expensive. Like you can get you can get. Um, some of these things for you know, 30 or 40 bucks is a vial over the internet, but you know, who the hell knows what it is for the same stuff. If it comes from an FDA approved lab, it's been double tested. It's going to cost you several hundred bucks, but it's, you know, a two month supply and it's, it's, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And you don't need much of it because it's full strength. 
the the um, the, the, the on the repair side, just still on the repair side, because John brought up this whole component of being injured. Um, utilizing two two different peptides right now that I know work well. One is called BPC one fifty seven, and BPC one fifty seven. Rich, how much time do we have? By the way. I mean, we've had podcasts that go 45 minutes. We have some that go two hours. So really, it's uh, uh, as long. Well, I've got a consult in about an hour. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Something like that, 45 minutes. Uh, 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 so uh, let me go Let me go for 30 minutes and then we'll quit. Uh, the, the, um, the BPC-157 was a substance that was originally, and I've talked to John, so John's heard of you, John, you can put your fingers in your ears. But uh, the... The BPC-157 originally was discovered by Pavlov. You, you guys remember who Pavlov was? Yeah, oh, Pavlov's yeah. dog. Yep. I mean, ding, ding, ding. The dog salivates. Yep. Yeah. Well, Pavlov was a dog lover, but he was also a brilliant scientist and a researcher. And he had a lab full of dogs. And some of these dogs, in a, whole, in a humane way, he would experiment on them. And he would, um, and the dogs always survived. They always got treated well, but he would do strange things. He would operate on them and divert their uh, esophagus. For example, he would uh, take the esophagus and put it into a baggie on the front of the chest uh, or the belly. And when they ate, the dogs would eat and the, and the food would go in their esophagus and drop into the bag, but it wouldn't go in their stomach. But he had a tube in their stomach and would measure the substances that were secreted in the stomach as a result of eating. And he found a substance in that stomach contents that was um, that was clearly identified as something that would heal burns and ulcers and wounds that nobody had ever seen before. And he didn't know what the heck it was. And you're talking about hundreds of years ago, 100 years ago to 150 years ago. And uh, I can't remember when Pavlov was, so I was about 1850, something like that. Uh, and... Um, and he uh, and so he didn't really know what that was, but the researchers along the way have gone like people going back to the archives and picking things up. And the peptide scientists began to break down that that sub those substances and identify and isolate what BPC one fifty seven was and what it was that made things heal. And BPC one fifty seven still has got the lab name number and name on it. They haven't named it some special product. Um, because it was research, it's not research anymore. But this stuff is amazing. I mean, right now, my mentor, Bill Seeds, up, up in Cleveland, uses it daily just for his mentation because he, he, like John, is, was a lineman and hit his head too many times. And like all of us, we've all had our concussions. I mean, I'm a cyclist, I'm a rugby and football player, so I had my share as well. I've had at least five good concussions, if there is such a thing as a good concussion. And, uh, and from those uh, bad concussions. Yeah. You know, the ones yeah. that don't blur your vision for a week. <laughs> bad, bad ones you don't wake up from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but so Bill takes it every day and he recommended that I do. I guess I must have slurred my speech or something to him. But um, so I, I take BPC 157 every day for the long term benefits of it to prevent, prevent uh, mental degeneration. I don't want Alzheimer's. I don't want those other demented things that go on with all the people that are already my age. That are that are already drilling on their shirt, uh, and but but he also has discovered that by using it in athletes, he can change a hamstring tear from debilitating for six to twelve weeks to a week, ten and a half day to a two weeker. He can, and this is what John was talking about. You can he can take a grade three ankle sprain, which you guys know what that is, where the entire ligament structure is pulled off, and it's not attached to bone anymore, or it's torn in the middle. Uh, and he can either brace or cast that, or he can do a little minimal incision and put a couple of sutures in it and put an internal splint type device in there to bring the ligament back into place, start rehab immediately, put him on a BPC-157 routine with a couple other peptides. And within three weeks, he had a Dancing with the Stars woman back dancing competitively. Who the hell does that? At three and a half weeks from a grade three? I mean, by six weeks, she was dancing. Three weeks, she was normal, but he didn't let her go back because he was afraid. But, I mean, he had good rehab. She was already already properly prepared because she had good nutrition. She was all ready when she hurt herself to be, to be treated. So that's part of it. A lot of the people are eating Snickers before they tether ACL, and, you know, and, they're, and they're, they're not very well set up nutritionally to get well. But some of these pro athletes that do good all the time, 
they're ready. And when they do get hurt, we want to pull out all the stops and do all these things. There's another one <clears throat> that's called thymus and the thymus and beta four. And the thymus, <coughs> excuse me, the thymus is a gland uh, below the thyroid, just, uh, above the sternum that by our age, my age, it's pretty much gone by, by age 45 or 50. It's about 90% atrophied and all turned to fat. And is only 10% active. And it's what's responsible for forming B cells and T cells, which are the things that fight bacteria and cancer and viruses. And also they, they create all the immune responses and everything and keep us from getting rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also all those thymus uh, 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 peptides and hormones that are there also help us heal. Well, he, he has found, and so have a lot of other people, if we, if we use thymus and beta-4 in a soft tissue injury, and thymus and thymus and alpha one with thymus and beta four in a head injury, uh, either a, a either a post traumatic stress syndrome, um, a, a concussion, or a, God forbid, like one of my friends, a, 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 a basilar skull fracture at seventy one and blood all over the floor because his blood his blood was running out of his brain. Uh, those guys they've shown tremendous improvements in these people's mentation and recovery of things they didn't think could happen before as a result of some of these peptides. So thymus and alpha-1, thymus and beta-4, BPC-157, uh, growth, the growth hormone stimulating hormones, the uh, uh, CJC-1295 uh, with the uh, there are, there are There's a, a brand new, and I've forgotten the n- name and number of it right now, that uh, has recently uh, been uh, featured that is um, that may eliminate the need for taking testosterone. It stimulates the body to produce its own testosterone. Now, one of the things I want to go back to <clears throat> when we were talking about testosterone and the dosage, 200, 200 milligrams of testosterone is a, is a shitload uh, for most of us. And, and uh, I can tell you, I have no one on 200 milligrams of testosterone right now because by the time I get them well with all the other things I'm doing, their test that will put them at a level of 1500 on their testosterone in their serum, and that's too high because weird things start happening to your liver enzymes and uh, your heart, uh, all your heart markers, and all that kind of stuff. It'll keep you down in that range of a thousand or below 900 is my max usually for most people. I say between six and 900 is fine. You know, uh, uh, I've been I was 1800 uh, in December because what I didn't realize the DSIP, the Delta Slow Wave Sleep Initiating Peptide that works on luteinizing hormone to stimulate testosterone, jacked my, te- my natural test up in addition to the 200 milligrams of testosterone I was taking. All of a sudden, I come in at 1890. Holy crap, that's twice what I need to be. So I cut back to 0.6 and kept taking the Delta Slow Wave, and I'm going to do my heart tests again and find out where I am. Feel trust but verify what Reagan said, right? Trust but verify. So that's, that's that caveat. I, mean, I, I really would like to save muscle building, um, uh, folostatin, uh, myostatin, uh, and all the MKF, all those other things, which we are, I know enough about to talk about, but I'd rather capsulize them in a future podcast if we can, where we focus on that. This is more of an introductory. Level. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, no, man. yeah we're, yeah, we're, we're happy to always have it. And more importantly, it's uh, more information. I think people are, you know, interested by this stuff and uh, I'm telling you, man, it's, uh, like I remember hearing Like I said, I, I went to that dinner with Bob and like these guys were like, Hey, you know, this stuff is really coming out. It's going to be interesting. And I asked like, at what point do you think that this stuff will actually be mainstream enough to like, uh, get some testing. And the guy was like, it's probably going to take about 10 or 15 years. So what year was that with Bob Chapman? Uh, that was, I think, in 2004 or five. Okay. Yeah, so it was right. about 13 years ago that like Bob was like, hey, you know, and like I remember talking with him about it and him being like, uh, these doctors are, you know, uh, like doing research. And there's going to be some really interesting stuff. And I remember the doctor being like 10 or 15 years, which is about 10 or 15 years later. Now we're hearing it like, you know, FDA compounding pharmacy and like the raw materials and actually getting some testing and some information. So uh, this stuff's been out there. I mean, uh, probably the one person on the earth who knows more about it is probably Lance Armstrong, or at least, uh, you know, I mean, because a lot of this stuff was coming out of cancer research. And I think uh, at least what those doctors were kind of indicating was that, you know, the people, the cyclists and those guys were really using it. And, you know, he talked about track and, you know, just some of the athletes that had been, uh, you know, this stuff, were they were kind of pushing the bounds of it. So I think 
I think we're starting to, you know, see this stuff kind of come out. And I think it's got some really interesting uh, opportunities. And I, I mean, in the NFL, if you could cut down on the amount of injury time, like, like, you know, cause everybody's injured. I mean, it's just the nature of the game, but if you could take a guy who tore an ACL or had a shoulder or an ankle or whatnot, and really cut down the amount of time that he was injured and get him back on the field, I think it, uh, makes a, the game better, but the problem is would the that be NFL, a cost savings or would that be an expense? It, it would be a cost savings because then they wouldn't have like they could say, hey, like if you're making X amount of money, you know, like it, it, to me, it would be in the player's best interest. I mean, there was a pretty high level player who was out of the game, you know, severe injuries and uh, within his neck, and you know, through some really interesting stem cell stuff, and um, you know, just uh, you know, through what I know from dealing with some doctors, was able to get it regenerated and come back and play the game and do really well and finish how he should have. And I think like, uh, that to me is not performance enhancing to me. That's not cheating. Uh, the problem is, is we have this weird fucking thing going on here in America where it's like, people think that the biggest problem on this planet is cheating in professional sports. But to me, it's like, uh, it's entertainment. It's dancing with the stars. I mean, it's like, dude, you have guys that are out there getting fucking killed, but the problem comes down to is nobody's betting on dancing with the stars. So all of this shit, all this like, oh, it has to be fair in this is because motherfuckers are betting on it. They got their fantasy leagues, Vegas, all the odds. And it's like, you know, the idea that like somebody might be doing something that might give them an edge or help them is, uh, is, is out of bounds because now it's like, uh, as I'm betting, I can like say, Hey, this guy's taking this, he might do better. So now I, I gives me an inside track. So, I mean, all this shit comes back to like the fucking gambling and the almighty dollar. So, but as a player, if, uh, if I'm fucked up and I can't do my job and it's potentially like the end of my career and the end of this pay, but yet I can take something like, you know, these peptides and be able to like cut down on the amount of time that it takes me to recover. And I'm able to do my job longer and, you know, earn more money and basically be better Then you know, what? I'm fucking all for it. And, uh, you know, the only people that really care about this shit are people that have never fucking strapped it up a day and the people that are fucking obsessed with fantasy football because that somehow it's going to skew them, you know? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, you, we all have to deal with WADA um, and the FDA. And, and most of this stuff is banned during competition, uh, either by the, the professional college or the Olympic sports teams. Anybody, that's, anybody that is um, uh, U.S.-sanctioned, US or under the auspices of some organization, most of this stuff is sanctioned. And um, um, the, the goal on this is for us to do enough research and to get enough information on it for it to become a, a, a legitimate a legitimate product that that uh, we could use it just like, you know, cortisone in the wrong scenario is banned, but in the right scenario, it isn't. I mean, well, I mean, look, look what they did to uh, um, Tortal. I mean, yeah. so, you know, Tordal vitamin T was used uh, by the majority of players before every football game. And then what happened is, is, uh, you know, when all of a sudden the concussion started and like guys were having these injuries and one of my former teammates, Jeremy Newberry, was having, you know, liver failure or whatnot and, you know, pointed to, you know, Tordal, which is an injectable uh, anti-inflammatory that, you know, when used is very, uh, you know, potent and actually works well. Uh, but the problem comes down to is, you know, there's an amount like an efficacy amount, like how often should you do it if you're getting it every fucking day to practice? then you might have some issues. And so like guys go into this and be like, well, I just figure I just get it done every day. And it's like, dude, like maybe a few times a year is probably a better, uh, deal, but it's like, you know, guys just want to go out there and play. And then the minute that something goes wrong, they're like, Hey, fuck dude, it's somebody else's fault. So I don't know, man, it's uh, it, it, it's a slippery slope, but I just always think that like, um, at the end of the day, when you get done playing the game, you hope to like, and, and no, nobody makes any illusions that like, I'm going to be 100% healthy when I left this game. Like you guys have heard me, like my shoulders fucked up and my knees fucked up, but like, that's the price that I paid and I was willing to do it. And I'm not bitter about it. But if you could have at the time that the injuries happened, done something that mitigated it. So I was healthier down the road. I'm all for that. Yeah. I wanted to show you, this is a, this is just a sampling of what Taylor made has uh, had uh, produced in October, and now there's a whole other list that's way down the page of things that are FDA approved and are imported or manufactured here in the U.S. now under the FDA guidance. And that's just a, a that where we're. That's just a start. And I'm part of the International Peptide uh, Society, and uh, about every ten days or two weeks, we have a symposium that Dr. Seeds leads, and he goes through about a 30-minute um, explanation like we're having today. 
here at a much more scientific level, really aimed at doctors and scientists um, to give a abstract of what is going on with various things and what's coming. Uh, in in um, July, I'm going to a meeting at Dana Point, California, um, uh, with the International Peptide Society. We're two, we're two full 10-hour days. We will be talking about this stuff at the highest level internationally that is available. So there's a lot more to come, and I want to share this stuff with you guys and, uh, and help anybody we can. As I said, I'm on about four or five of these peptides myself at a, at a level that Dr. Seeds and the others say is a reasonable level to be at. And um, there's so much more to be had from this that uh, I'm excited about it. It's the first time in a long time in medicine I've been excited about anything. That's crazy. So how are, the, how are the peptides manufactured? I mean, is it raw material? Is it, is it lab-grown? Or is it a mixture of both? They're synthetics. Uh, they, don't use, they don't use any human organs or tissues. Uh, and peptide chemistry is extremely uh, scientific. And they use, I don't know what your science backgrounds are, but they... they or do you do you guys have science? Basically, I was going to say assume zero <laughs> biology and anatomy one hundred and one. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, you, you assume rail cars, and you got to get those couplers to link. Okay. And those couplers are bonds. They're called peptide bonds, and the amino acids link together with hydrogens and oxygens and nitrogens and whatever part of the amino acid it is that has the electrons that capture the next uh, atom. The next amino acid atom, and when those capture, they can be brittle or they can be durable. And what you put in them as a buffer determines the stability. So if you take growth hormone and you shake the shit out of it, it's not going to stay together. It's going to break apart. It's going to be no good. If you take it and put it on the, on the dash of your car and it gets hot, you just wasted 3500 bucks for a bio test of, um, of growth hormone. So the, the, the science is very, very specific. And what they do, the uh, peptide chemists actually have come up with protocols on how they can, re they find out what the, chem what the signal chemicals are, and they, re they, they, they identify, them, identify the chain of the amino acids. Then they go back and redevelop re those things and learn how to link them together and make them stable, figure out their purity, their, their, their concentration, et cetera. And then they have to do their stability studies to find out how long are they good on the shelf. Because if I, if I sell you something that's, that's no good by the time you get it, 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 it doesn't help. And that's the problem with the stuff that you're seeing in the gyms. How long does it sit in a boxcar coming here from Mexico? You don't know. Somebody's pocket. Who knows? So uh, the, the, that's, the, that's the science part of it. And it's, it is not made from human materials or animal materials. It's synthesized. But everybody thinks, oh, synthetic, that's not natural. This is a bioidentical product. Either that or it's very close to bioidentical. Right. So then like, do, you, do you foresee the, the innovation within this field being like, uh, the ability to create more stable products that Absolutely. have longer shelf lives and durability? Absolutely. That's where it's at. Because if these companies then, then can stockpile this stuff and they don't have to manufacture every batch Every time somebody calls for it, it can sit up in their, in their uh, inventory and they just pick it off the shelf instead of having to go put their forces into place and make it. It's like making bread. I mean, I mean, we don't want a Twinkie that lasts a thousand years. You know, it's probably better to have something that was made yesterday. But if these things are stable and proven to be stable and they've got the analyses that shows that they're stable, then it makes it a little easier to, to deal with. Well, then it becomes more readily available. I mean, think about the amount of people on like opiates. And I know we've been, we've talked pretty extensively about the idea that, you know, I mean, we have a huge opiate problem in this country that's leading to a heroin resurgence. And, you know, you have more people dying a day from opiate addiction than uh, anything else right now. And it's like, you know, now we're seeing like, you know, cannabis and, uh, you know, the CBDs coming in play. And I, I think about a lot of the, you know, the opiate addiction stemming from usually injuries. And like, it's crazy. If you were to trace like an initial back injury, uh, going into like opiate addiction where it's like, Hey, I hurt my back. They say they gave me painkillers. And then it kind of starts that kind of cycle there. Now you have a situation where I think you can heal these things faster. And I think like, 
just being able to say, all right, well, like, let's fix things from a root cause. I mean, if people are, you know, aren't getting PT, they're not getting rehab, or like we put some things together so we don't ever put them in a position for this stuff because it's just so easy for the doctor just to put some light over the check oil engine light. You know, your back's hurt. Okay, here's painkillers instead of saying, all right, now, can we heal this? And is there a non-surgical method? Because as Doc knows, you know, with a lot of the orthopedic stuff, uh, you know, sometimes the outcome isn't nearly as favorable as it was when, you know, before. And I know with back injuries, a lot of times uh, they'll go in and do a surgery and like, you know, the, uh, you know, whether or not it was successful uh, and like get them back before the pre is kind of on, you know, on the fence. So that sounds good. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, thanks a bunch for your time, man. And I, yeah, we we probably do need another ver- another episode. Yeah, to, to yeah. Like let's talk about the muscle building stuff, and all the jiggy stuff. Yeah, dive yeah, in a little I, deeper. I, I put that together totally, make it uh, succinct and to the point, um, and uh, give you some uh, updates on where we're going from here and on all the other stuff. So, should we follow up with you and get some of the documentation that we can share yeah. with listeners? All right. Sure. Okay. Cool. That'd be great. So that you know, show notes. Yep. Uh, we can pop them in there. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Doc. Have a great day. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Hopefully you will never be in need of a good orthopedist, but if you are, Dr. Calvo is your man here in Austin, Texas. Attached to the show notes at www.powerathletehq.com backslash radio is a link to the research documents that were talked about and discussed by Dr. Calvo in this episode. Until next time. Bye.